Today's episode of Puck It! We'll Do It! Live is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to Puck It! We'll Do It! Live, our pre-recorded Minnesota Twins podcast. It is Thursday, April 9th. Zach Pierce here, joined as usual by Dan Hayes. Hey, what's up, everybody? And today we have a very special guest. You know him as the longtime television voice of the Minnesota Twins. He's also the author of a new book called Game Used, My Life in Stitches with the Minnesota Twins. He is Dick Bramer. Dick, thank you so much for joining us today. First off, how are you and the family holding up right now? Well, we're healthy, and I guess given the current uh, status of uh, things around the world, if you're healthy, you don't have any complaints. We're we're doing fine. We're missing baseball terribly in this uh, household, uh, not just uh, me. I'm used to being at a major league park. My son is used to being at a minor league park, and uh, we're all here together wondering when uh, baseball or if baseball is going to start. A lot of extra family time uh, to go around for sure. We, uh, we're glad to have you. We tried to have you last week, but we had some technical difficulties, which I think we just realized we can blame on Dan now. So that's great. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so the book, again, is called Game Used, My Life in Stitches with the Minnesota Twins. It's written in uh, 108 short stories or stitches about your life in baseball and with the Twins. And that's the number because that's how many stitches you'll find in a baseball. So... It's really a must-have for any Twins fan. There's a ton of great stories in there about your time around the franchise and its biggest names. This must have been a pretty fun project to put together. What made you decide to write this now? Well, uh, Triumph Books out of Chicago approached me almost two years ago and was uh, interested in me being writing a book, be, a book and being a part of a, a series of books they were doing called If These Walls Could Talk. Uh, they've done that successfully, I might add, with a bunch of other uh, veteran sportscasters in markets like Boston, uh, Milwaukee, Kansas City, and Oakland. And I was very flattered, uh, but as I thought about it, I thought if I was ever going to do a book, and frankly, the idea of writing a book, never, I never gave it serious thought, but if I was ever going to do it, I'd rather it be a standalone book. I, they had assigned a very accomplished uh, co-author to the project, and I thought I'd probably want to just write it myself and give it a give it a shot writing it myself. And so after about a week of thinking about it, I, I declined their um, uh, invitation to be a part of the series and expressed some reasons why. And then about two weeks later, they came back to me and addressed all those concerns. Yes, I could write it myself. It would be a hardcover book. I could have the freedom to you know, write it and format it and title it the way I wanted to. And so they really didn't give me any reason not to write a book. I've got a lot of free time in the baseball offseason. So I spent most of that, or a good part of it anyway, uh, between the 2018 and 2019 seasons uh, writing these stories. Uh, the one thing that I'm really happy I did, though, they wanted everything done by the end of June. And I said, well, we have to allow, now this goes back to like January and February of 
2019. We have to allow for the possibility that the 2019 season might be notable for the Twins for one reason or another, and I would want to definitely include that in my book. And, of course, we know what happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. It was a very memorable season. So I uh, buckled down when the season finally ended and submitted the final mi- uh, manuscript uh, in October. Well, that was a great call. And you can uh, you can buy the book now on Amazon.com. Anywhere else right now? Barnes & Noble has it in stock uh, uh, off and on. Uh, they're having some retail issues. They've closed a right. lot of their stores. So I, I would encourage people who are interested in, in getting a copy of the book, check and see if the local book star, uh, stores are open. Then check online either at uh, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, or if all else fails, triumphbooks.com will have it as well. Hey, uh, Dick, obviously the, the timing of it, uh, I think I saw you, you handed me a copy right when we were coming back from the Dominican, and that was, I think, March 7th. Uh, how many book signings seems did like you two, have planned? It seems like two, year, it seems like two <laughs> yeah. years ago that we were in the Dominican, doesn't it? It does, um, it does. We, we had one at, at Hammond Stadium. We were supposed to have two, and I, I, of course, have not gone through this before, so I didn't know how the book was going to be received, how the signing was going to go. It went really, really well, and we had a second one scheduled. And, of course, when they pulled the plug on spring training, we had to pack up the books and everything else and head home. Uh, then back here, we were supposed to have – we had six of them lined up in various bookstores, and I lined one up in my hometown of Dumont, Minnesota, for April 3rd, the day after the home opener. And that was, frankly, going to be the highlight of the whole book writing process. There's fewer than 100 people who live in that town right now, and I, I was just hoping to have a really good, uh, fun party on a Friday night in my hometown of Dumont, and they were anticipating a lot of people uh, showing up and we were they were even going to back the fire truck out of the fire hall for me they don't do that for just everybody (laughs) and so uh, we were really uh, disappointed that uh, for good reason we had to at least postpone uh, that event but there were plenty of them uh, scheduled and uh, we hope to schedule them once we get back to normal whenever and whatever that is I love the story. I think it's the first stitch in the book about your your time in Dumont and how all they used to have to do back in the day was put a sandwich board on the street that said baseball today to get a crowd to come. <laughs> yeah, there was no uh, advertising, and it was every other Wednesday night, like every other small town in, in this region, uh, two games a week and half of them at home, and the ball field was in my backyard, and, and it really was a, a wonderful um, uh, social event for this town. And I will tell you that one of the most exciting things that happened uh, in writing the book, I had written the stories already from Dumont, and someone from Dumont sent me a picture that's used in the book where I talk about the vehicles parked behind the outfield Mm. fence, door handle to door handle. And somebody sent me a picture that had to have been taken from a helicopter or an airplane back (laughs) even before we lived there, but it showed exactly what I was writing about how the, the cars and trucks were parked door handle to door handle behind the right and center field fence. And that when I opened up the envelope, it, I literally got shivers because that's exactly how I remembered it when I was a little kid. That's great. Dick, you were, uh, you were in Fort Myers when the news came that baseball was going on pause. This was a team, obviously, that came to Florida with high hopes after last season's success, signing Josh Donaldson. Curious what your impression was of the vibe of the team as this all was going down. Well, I think they've 
and Dan probably had the same vibe too. I, they, they were very confident. They know that they're good. And that's one of the disappointing things about not getting the season at least started on time. Uh, this was a team, a franchise that had built a lot of momentum during the 2019 season and again in the off season. And I guess the impression I got in terms of the games that I saw was that you know this, is, this team should have a shelf life of a number of years, not because of the Keplers and the Polancos, but also because of the Kirilovs and the Larnicks and people like that, Royce Lewis. I mean, the most eye-opening camps in the abbreviated camp that we had were put together by guys who weren't even expected to play for the team this year. And so there is a, a great deal of optimism, I think, around this organization. And again, it, all of that right now is set aside or stifled because we can't even get this season uh, underway. But I think the hope is that this team's going to be good for quite a while. What uh, at this point do you do you expect for the season? What what do you think? I mean, obviously we've heard this Arizona plan come out the other day, but uh, where do you think this all begins? Well, I, I, I when I read it, when I learned more about the Arizona plan, of course I was excited. I want to get going. I'm I'm ready to go. You could tell me right now, okay, you'd have a game to do in 90 minutes. I'd be ready. So I do want to get things started, but of course it has to be done safely and and just given how quickly and how precipitously things have spiraled downward just in the last few weeks i mean it wasn't that long ago you know what was the, the dominican game was one month ago today or yesterday i guess uh how quickly things deteriorated and the hope is that of course it can climb back to normalcy somewhat quickly but i don't know that anyone would anticipate that baseball would start in May. That's the earliest they would start. Uh, if it's more prudent to wait, I hope they wait. I'm sure they will. Um, I, I don't know. I you know If it's just a half season, if it were to start at the All-Star break and we were managing to get in just 81 games, uh, th that would be fine with me. I, I want to play as much as, the, uh, as uh, we can. Uh, meaning collectively, I want the industry to have as many games out there as possible. But if it gets inside of you know half a season, well then of course there are going to be a lot of asterisks put together uh, attached to everything that uh, statistically was put together during the season. Could you uh, could you see yourself uh, in one spot? I mean, obviously you'd rotate stadiums throughout Arizona, but could you see yourself camped in in Phoenix for three to four and a half months? Yeah. Could you adjust that? Oh, I would be. Uh, it would be very difficult for everybody, and that's the thing that, as you look at this plan, it it will be a hardship for everyone. Uh, but I'd be glad to do it because I know how much the game means to me. But beyond that, I know how much the game means to not just this region, but you know across the country. After 9/11, it was very significant for this country to get baseball back on the field, and and I just know that. There's a huge cavity when sports aren't around. There are higher priorities now. We all know that. But if you were tonight, we're going to televise a Seattle Mariner-Detroit Tiger game, and if it was live, it would draw Super Bowl ratings because there's so, so much pent-up interest uh, in watching a live sporting event. Whenever we get there, I suspect that, that uh, on TV, on radio, and in person, eventually, if fans are allowed at the ballparks, the game will be very well supported. I uh, I have 
sort of some strange luck in that I was at the April 29th, 2015 game between the White Sox and the Orioles where there were no fans. And at the time I was working for uh, NBC Sports Chicago, and so I'd go to the booth occasionally. And I wasn't there that day, but immediately during the broadcast, um, Gary Thorne's home run call actually boomed into the White Sox broadcast because there's just a thin (laughs) wall at Camden Yards. and and it was you could hear it clearly uh, in the background. Have you thought about that possibility of games with no fans and what that might like uh, what that might be like to call? Yeah, I've talked with Gary about that game, and you likened it to announcing a, a golf tournament, and you're up in the tower, but you have to speak in hushed tones because the guy putting on the green can hear you. And and it was kind of that way for Gary in that game. Uh, if his voice projected at all, as far as he was from home plate, you know, the guys in the dugout and the you know guys uh, at home plate on the field could hear him. So I, you know, I've never done anything like that. Uh, it would take some getting used to for me, but it's a small sacrifice to, to pay if we can actually get the game back on, get it on TV, get it on the radio. So and the, and the people I, th- I think most of these days, of course, the fans in general, but, you know, the seniors living in, in uh, assisted living or nursing homes, they rely on baseball so much as part of their daily entertainment. And, and uh, whatever hardship might be ahead for me and any other broadcaster or anybody else that might be in- involved in this abnormal uh, resumption of a season, uh, we'll be glad to put up with that because I think the game needs, games need to be played. Dick, I actually dabbled in some play-by-play in my college days, and I always found baseball to be one of the hardest sports to do just because of the sheer volume of dead space you have to fill. (laughs) And uh, you've always been a pro at it. I'm just curious what goes into your preparation to make sure you always – it doesn't matter for you whether it's in the middle of of a pennant race or a a lost season in the middle of August. You always seem to have material, and I'm wondering what goes into your preparation for that. Well, it comes easy to me because I have a deep passion for the game. Now, the the preparation for the game has changed so much since I got started way back in 1983. They didn't, you know, there there was not an internet back then, and in the advent of the internet, there, you literally had things at your fingertips in terms of resource materials that you never had before. And so then the challenge was, you know, what does of all the information that's out there what is of most interest to the viewer whatever his or her demographic might be what's going to be the most interesting thing of all the stuff that's out there and then a transition now recently because everything that's available on the internet is available to the fan and and so there's less and less of that that i've done in recent years and i've realized that the one advantage i have over the viewers who can get on the internet at seven in the morning and read whatever they want about uh, the team they're following, the team uh, that that team is playing, the players, is time at the ballpark. And I found myself going earlier and earlier to the ballpark because of that. That's the one thing I can do. I got a press pass, and I can go in the clubhouse, and I can go on the field, and I can talk to the hitting coach and the pitching coach and the players from both sides, and that's something the viewer or the listener on radio can't do. Everything else is available to the broadcasters as well as the fans. So I found myself 
getting to the ballpark earlier and earlier because it's more important for me now than ever, uh, more now than ever, to actually talk to the players and the coaches and the manager on the day of the game and take a, a lot of what I learned from them up to the booth with me at night. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of fans have the misconception that you just show up, you know, 15 minutes before the game, do a little <laughs> pregame hit, do the game, and go home. But that's a that's a smart way to do it for sure. Do you ever have moments where you just have run out of things to say? <laughs> well, we had uh, what an 18 inning game and a 19 inning <laughs> game about uh, seven days apart or whatever it was last year, and uh, you you don't run out of things to say. You just run out of you know the energy. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know how the players do it. It, it really is tough, uh, and you understand that the the extra innings that you do are more important than the earlier innings because the game is very suddenly one way or the other going to be decided, and so you really need to be on your toes. Uh, you might never run out of material. In essence, if you've got an 18 inning marathon game like that. There's plenty of built-in material because the hitters have all had seven or eight at-bats, and so you can recap you know, what has happened uh, uh, to them earlier in the day. But it really is important. I've had you know, done games where we sign off the air at 1 in the morning, and the viewing audience is a small fraction of what it was at 7 uh, the, the night before. But for people who have stayed with the game, they deserve to – have uh, an announcer who's still on his toes. So th that's the biggest challenge. You've obviously covered uh, the, the very best teams that Twins have ever had and some of the very worst as well. Does your approach change kind of later in the season if it's become clear one way or the other whether the team is contending or not? Well, there, there's a vibe that I get when the team has been good and been in a pennant race, and it usually hits me sometime in August. For some reason... You know, it seems like contenders and pretenders are determined in August uh, as much as in September. And so usually, and in, in going back a few years when the Twins and White Sox had their great rivalry, the August games were so much fun because you could all, we would be in Chicago and you could almost sense the viewers in Minnesota being locked in on every pitch. It, it, it's a an abstract feeling, I guess, but it, 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 I, I just really sense that that the, the market that I'm from, even though the game is in Chicago, they're really locked in, and we're, and we're going to do great ratings that night. Now, in the years that aren't so good, um, I'm still engaged all the way up until the very end, and if the season hasn't gone very well and they're lost a you know, 100 or more games, as was the case a few years ago, uh, I find myself being physically wiped out having done 155 games or whatever. But honestly, it doesn't take me more than two or three days of not working, and I feel like I'm ready to go. I, I'm, I think I'm unique in this way. The off-seasons for me seem so much longer than the seasons themselves. Dick, um, obviously you've got <clears throat> a lot of great moments that you've enjoyed. Um, what stands out over the, the course of the career that – moment that you called that doesn't have to be a highlight championship moment, but any games in particular that really stand out and resonate with you? Well, one in particular, and you have to understand, and Dan, I think you know this, this will be my 37th year doing Twins games, and I haven't done one postseason inning. 
Right. That's the lot. That's the lot of uh, you know local TV guys. They used to be part of the national broadcast, but they haven't been for a long, long time. So, of all the games that I've done, the one that stands out is the final home game of 1987, and ironically, Bert Blylevin started and finished the game. It was against the Kansas City Royals. And that game on a Sunday afternoon clinched a tie for the division title in 1987, the old American League West. And there were some really interesting things that happened, particularly in the first inning of that game. But since I started with the Twins when they were terrible and weren't drawing any fans, the, 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 the example I always use is my first year of announcing Twins games in 1983, we televised a four-game series at home at the Metrodome against the Seattle Mariners, and the total number of tickets sold were 13,500. And of those tickets sold, only about half of them were used. And so this team, which had lost over 100 games a year before, uh, was off the radar screen for sports fans in this region. Uh, apathy had set in. And it really was a, a precarious situation with the team almost moving in 1984. And then five years later, with that game, that final home game, clinching a tie, then the next day in Texas they clinched the division, and a few weeks later won the first World Series for this region. That really stands out. That year stands out, and that game in particular. You mentioned it was your 37th year uh, behind the mic, or it will be whenever it gets going. Have you? Uh, do you have any thoughts how long you see yourself doing this? We hope the answer is forever. But Well, <laughs> um, I, I joke about the book. It took me 40 years to write the book. The next one's coming out in 40 years, uh, too, the sequel. But, uh, um, no, I'd like to keep doing it for a while. I still have a passion for it. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think I'm still good at it. Uh, the one thing I don't want to do is hang around too long. I've, I've seen and heard announcers that have done that. Uh, whenever I leave, I want to leave at the top of my game. I don't know when that's going to be. That isn't entirely up to me, of course. But I'd like to keep doing it. Um, <laughs> the, the dean of Twins Broadcasters is Herb Carneal, and he did it for 45 years, I believe. And my goal, ultimately, at the max, is I'd like to go 44 years. I'd like to go one year less than Herb Carneal to always leave him on top of the list. That is very Minnesotan of you. I love it. Uh, <laughs> the, the book, again, is Game Used, My Life in Stitches with the Minnesota Twins, 108 short stories or stitches about, uh, well, more, more than your, just with your life with the Twins, your life in baseball, uh, your early radio days as duke in the dark which i need to hear more about that the next time we talk but uh <laughs> for for today we'll call it uh dick thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate the time hey, everybody keep your fingers crossed so we can get baseball going here sometime soon thanks guys all right thanks thank dick. you all right thanks again to dick bramer for joining us dan that was great wasn't it that was and he actually is our first uh two-time guest and i think before we should uh Yell up to Margie up at the front desk to give him a set of steak knives before he walks out the studio yeah. door um, exactly. as our yeah, first two-time sure. guest. We so. tried to have him on uh, last week, but he or we or both had some technical issues uh, from his cabin. He was back home this week. It worked much better. So thanks to Dick again for sticking it out. But uh, obviously a very interesting figure around Twins baseball. I, I would bet that there's probably not many, if any, people who have – been personal witness to more of Twins history, at least that are current, that are still around than, than him after 37 years, my entire lifetime. 
behind the microphone. I don't know any other television announcer for the Twins, Dan. Hey, nice humble brag that you're younger than me. Thanks. I appreciate that. So yeah, I debated bringing that up during the talk with him, but I didn't want to have two of you against one, so I just left it out. But with just the two of us, we have even numbers, um, and uh, we can do it. But yeah, uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we hope to keep bringing you more guests as we can if we ever get back to a season especially, but uh, that was fun. We'll do it again sometime. Dan, any final thoughts? Uh, not really. Uh, just uh, everybody stay safe and... Uh, you know, let's uh, let's get this thing keep going in the right direction so we can eventually get back to uh, baseball and, and uh, real life or normal life, whatever the hell that is in the future. Amen. Everybody stay safe. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.